This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. However you find this show, podcast platforms, radio stations around the country, CBS News streaming, or Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124. Thanks for finding us. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for getting the vibe of this show. Look, folks, for the better part of the near future, Ukraine is going to be the only story this show is going to focus on because it is the biggest story in the world. And if you think it's bad now, trust me, it could get worse. Not because I can predict the future, but because I've read history. Despotism is real. Barbarism is real. And when it's empowered and emboldened by massed military might, It can be terrifying. It's terrifying for the people of Ukraine right now. And the aggressor country is plunged into an abyss of nihilistic propaganda. And that's what the Western world is up against. That's going to be the topic this week and many weeks into the future. Our guest this week, Mike Quigley. Who is Mike Quigley? He's congressman, Democratic congressman from the great state of Illinois. In his district, a large Ukrainian population. He is co-chair of the Ukrainian caucus in the House of Representatives. Mike, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Glad to be here. Where do you think things are right now? You are on the Intelligence Committee. You get a lot of briefings. I know you can't go into things that you are unable to discuss in a public forum. But what do you think things are this morning of Thursday? What's the date, Arden? March 10th. March 10th. Where are we, Mike? Look, it's obviously a tragic situation. Uh, Europe is at war. The United States is at war. I don't know that we necessarily have that figured out, but... uh, Clearly, President Putin feels that we are at war with him, and he is battling all of NATO uh, as, as a proxy war. Uh, but that could change very quickly. So this is a very scary situation. This is our greatest foreign policy challenge in Europe uh, since 1945. Uh, for those of us who have lived through the majority of the Cold War, uh, many of the scenes that we are witnessing and could witness are reminiscent of, of our childhood. Nuclear fears, missiles conceivably being uh, planted in Cuba and Central America. Uh, I guess part of my message is if anyone thinks that we're not engaged with a conflict with Putin, they're they're just not seeing the situation. When I first got interviewed on local TV when the invasion took place, uh, they did a flash poll and they said the majority of our viewers say we should stay out of this. 
And I say, with respect, you can turn off the TV, but the conflict is with us. And uh, tell my audience a little bit, Congressman Mike, about your district and the Ukrainian diaspora that is there and what it is feeling and going through right now. Then we'll get into more of the complexities, more of the destructive might that Putin is unleashing in Ukraine and the civilian casualties arising from it. Sure. Uh, I represent Illinois 5th District, which is largely north side of the city of Chicago. It currently goes into the western suburbs and includes O'Hare as well. Uh, in the new district, it's still the north side of Chicago, uh, but takes in some of the northern suburbs. But, you know, a, a lot of that population of the diasporas you talk about, uh, Europeans, particularly Central and Eastern Europeans, large Polish population, certainly Ukrainian and others. So uh, when I go to a rally right now uh, to talk about what's happening in Ukraine, you probably see a, a dozen flags of di different European countries flown in unity by the by the very people who, who have come from those countries or their families have and have families there working in unity with what uh, Ukraine is facing. And for, for someone who has represented the district now, the area probably for a quarter of a century because of a previous office I held, you know, it's not just constituents. You know, these are friends. So, you know, at these events, uh, there's a lot of hugs. There's a lot of tears. There's a sharing of photos of family who are trying to get out of the country uh, and, and questions about what are we going to do to help? How do we help the refugees? So from your perspective, and as you know, Congressman Mike, I've covered lots of White Houses. There's not been a single White House I've covered that didn't get frustrated by the, quote, 535 secretaries of state in Congress. You're one member of Congress. You have one vote, but you have a perspective. Should there be a no-fly zone over Ukraine or a limited no-fly zone? You said a moment ago, we're at war. What, do, what does that mean from your vantage point or what should we be doing that we are not? You know, it's complicated, but I'll say this. I, I think we probably need to start prefacing what we should do by saying, well, they're not a member of NATO. And obviously, Ukraine is not a member of NATO. Uh, but I guess my view on <clears throat> what that means has evolved during this conflict and in the speech uh, that President Zelensky gave uh, to uh, the members of parliament but the Saturday before when he spoke to us. And I'm no note taker. I'm no reporter, no stenographer. It's pretty powerful stuff. Um, you know, I'll just take the, the most important part in my handwriting. We are all one big army, undefeatable. We represent an ideal unity worth fighting for. This would be, a, if we win, it's a victory over injustice. You are our biggest hope. Help us. Don't let brave people, don't let us, don't allow us to be exterminated. So I, I've got to preface this because this is, you know, in our youth, we watched uh, documentaries like The World at War. Mm -hmm. And we saw in black and white, scratchy film, uh, a dictator uh, roll over Europe and, and massacre huge populations. We never imagined that we would see that again, and certainly that we would tolerate it. But when I watched Zelensky 
And clearly he was uh, channeling Churchill when he spoke to the parliament. That's what I took from it. So I, I think it's instructive to uh, remember that Churchill during the Blitz and Zelensky, probably at greater risk during this siege of Kiev, uh, he wasn't just speaking for his own country. He was speaking for the threats to all of Europe. Uh, he specifically brought out the attack, the shelling on the nuclear power plant and the catastrophe that that represented. So he was reminding them this isn't just a Ukrainian problem. But they were also both defending the ideal and the notion that you can't let a sovereign democratic country be taken and its people and the spirit that represents. So what does that mean with NATO? Well, look, more than any other NATO country, Ukraine currently represents all the reasons we form NATO, tactically and in our hearts and spirit and what we saw a generation ago. And I think both men were speaking for the souls of all those who gave their last full measure of devotion for that ideal. So I, I think we need to stop thinking about the fact that, well, maybe if we're subtle about this, Putin won't see this as an escalation, right? He clearly thinks the sanctions were an escalation. We tanked the ruble, his stock market, his economy, the disinvestment that's taking place. He dramatically underestimated Western resolve and unity. But he calls it an economic war, which is uh, clearly a, a war. And the fact, yeah, will planes bother him more, or is this just building, than the fact that stingers and javelins are very effectively killing his soldiers and the war isn't going the way he wants. So I have seen leaders in the West go sort of back and forth about how we might protect the air uh, above Ukraine. And, and I guess since the Second World War, we understand why that supremacy is so important. But, you know, yesterday I was doing a, a spot on this and, and I saw a hospital get leveled. Right. It's hard to say, well, let's quibble over whether they come from the, the planes come from Germany or Poland. Right. Mike, I'm going to stop you right there because I got to hit a hard break. When we come back, we're going to continue that conversation about Poland, about jets, about air supremacy, all of that with Mike Quigley, congressman from the great state of Illinois. I'm Major Garrett. Segment two of The Takeout coming up in just one second. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. 
Welcome back to the Take Out the Topic Ukraine. Our guest, Mike Quigley, congressman from Illinois, Chicago, the Ukrainian diaspora, part of his district. Mike, you were talking about the quibbling over where the jets come from. Well, I just want to help the audience understand. Poland has made a suggestion, a kind of surprise to the United States. We'll give you a bunch of MiG fighters. Why are MiG fighters important? Because they're an aerial platform Ukrainian pilots are familiar with. Poland doesn't want to hand them off directly, wants to give them to the United States and then have them fly fly them into Ukraine. The Biden administration at present is reluctant to do that, thinking it would be escalatory. Carry on. We've been talking escalatory for some time. I'm just arguing that Putin is not necessarily going to see a distinction of such note. And, right? and his because definition will rule. Absolutely. And the, this is all taking place, these discussions in public. So it's not as if they're not watching and saying, oh, well, it's okay. I'm not mad at Poland anymore, even though obviously supplies are coming through Poland with weapons that are killing his soldiers. <laughs> but they're handing these, these weapons off. And Putin won't say, well, I'm not upset with the U.S. because it's not U.S. planes, uh, even though we've, uh, we've publicly talked about backfilling. At this point in time, when hospitals, maternity hospital is flattened and escape routes for refugees are being blocked and war crimes are being committed. You know, we have to ask ourselves, you know, I saw, well, you're, you're not a military guy. Well, the former NATO commander uh, took up the same argument and he said in the final analysis, you know, where do we draw the line? Mm -hmm. Where do we say, well, that's different. So I, I don't want to escalate, but in, the, in a sense, we just haven't gotten to the point of recognition of where we really are. And I think that's why the West, while unified and dramatically farther along and uh, on sanctions and so forth, I'm surprised at that. But still in the final analysis, if you're in Kiev or most parts of Ukraine, you probably feel we're a step and a half to two steps behind the need. And, and what else can we do? Clearly. The airspace matters. The, art, the, the our Russian artillery is doing extraordinary damage. Um, so, you know, what do they need? They need the continuation of the weapons that we're already giving them. Uh, they, they need help in the air, and that would probably include drones. And they, they need missiles to take down Russian planes. All of this is escalatory, but can we let Putin be the only one that escalates? So one of the things we love to do on the show, Congressman, is remind people of language that is frequently used in Washington in almost a shorthand way that they may not be fully caught up on. You mentioned stingers and javelins a moment ago. Just for the benefit of my audience, tell them what that is, what those are. These are relatively easy to use. It takes a soldier or two, uh, shoulder-mounted often, weapons that are extremely effective in taking out things like Russian tanks and, you know, low flying like a helicopter. They are a great equalizer, right? Not a military guy, but we get briefed on such things. They are having a dramatic impact in this conflict. But during the Zelensky call, uh, a member who shall remain nameless asked, well, why can't you use those? against uh, the uh, Russian jets. And the fact is, 
maybe taking off and landing, but that's not the point you're at. You need missiles to do that. So we are sort of saying, think about this. For, to, for the Ukrainians, they're getting wiped out. And, and from us, they're getting critical aid, and, and they've always been appreciative in all these calls. But here they see us, it has to appear to be quibbling. Well, we'll give you this, but uh, not that, because you know we're vested in this, but not that vested. Uh, again, I argue, <laughs> to say that we would fight for every inch of NATO and risk what everybody's saying, well, quickly you're risking an escalation to a third world war. But we are already making that decision when we say we would do that for Poland or you know, uh, Germany because they're NATO. I would ask, Ukraine has earned being treated like it's a NATO member. Its fight is the fight and the argument to, to form NATO in, in the first place, at least in spirit. And do you fear, Congressman Mike Quigley, that if Russia is successful in Ukraine, and by successful I mean murderous and overtaking the country, decapitating the government, occupying it, and then using it off as, as a jumping off point, this war will inevitably spread into Europe and to NATO countries if it's not stopped? Well, well sure. And look, I think... Putin's intention is altered in the sense that he can't win in the way he had sought to have victory. You know, uh, I, I think you're right. He thought this would go very quickly, that there would be a decapitation, that he would put in still a, a puppet government, <clears throat> perhaps the former president who fled with uh, a, a small fortune into Russia, put him back in power, and then operated. I guess much the same way they they do the country to the north, right? With Lushenko. Belarus. That's not going. Yeah, Belarus uh, and I, Belarus 2.0. That's clearly not going to happen because even if he does the decapitation, uh, he's got an insurgent war for all time. A war of it occupation. Clear, yes. A, a war of occupation, which never works. It hasn't worked. Uh, for any conflict we've been involved with, and clearly one that the Russians have been involved with. But, um, you know, I, I think part of that is, to your point, assessing where Putin is. Clearly, he has larger plans, and we would have to be concerned in the, in the short term about countries like Moldova, where he's already, in, you know, uh, attempted a political takeover uh, and in other countries in Eastern Europe who are right on the border. And, and frankly, I think he sees the Baltics as suburbs of St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. So there's a very real threat and an understanding that um, uh, he has larger plans. I, I do want to, as you say, listeners are, are learning quickly about this. There's a final point that I don't want to, I don't want to fail to mention. We owe something in the West to Ukraine because, again, as you know, with the fall of the Soviet Union, they made a deal to give up their nukes. Yep. That kept us all safe, and we promised to help protect their territorial integrity, Great Britain, the U.S., and Russia. Yes. That should mean something to all of us. Right. That is, I think, from the Ukrainian perspective, just a rung and a very close rung below NATO membership. It handed over something of vast sovereign importance and a 
bargaining chip in the future. It handed all those nuclear stockpiles over in exchange for a security guarantee and a sovereignty protection from three great nations, United Kingdom, America, and Russia. And we understand other countries seek nuclear weapons because they sense that that is their security blanket in the long run. Clearly a country like North Korea and others. So, you know, we, we owe it to them on the Budapest memorandum. uh, But, and there are other issues here as it relates. Clearly this isn't just a Ukrainian problem. He has his sights on larger. He has a number of ways to go about it in this Kremlin playbook. Uh, This is, you know, the first that's come to this. But I I think in the final point of that is we have to start looking at, is this a different Putin from 10 years ago? And does that change the equation here, too? Is he? With about a minute to go before our next break, is he? Yeah, I I think we're going to have to go to the next break. I'll just say I I spoke to the president of Finland uh, when I was in Helsinki in just a few years ago, just before uh, President Trump was there. And uh, we talked about Putin. He speaks now of a different Putin just in that short time frame. Mm -hmm. That is the voice of Mike Quigley. He is a congressman from the greater Chicago area, north side of Chicago, 5th District, if I remember the number correctly, large Ukrainian and Eastern and Central European diaspora in that district. He is on the Intelligence Committee. He is the co-chair of the Ukrainian Caucus in the House of Representatives. More with Congressman Quigley on the topic of our times, ladies and gentlemen. I can't emphasize that enough. And as the congressman referred to earlier, at another time we might have thought it was convenient or useful to turn the television off. Yes, you can still do it, but it's not useful. I'm Major Garrett, segment three coming up in just one second. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Mike Quigley, congressman from the 5th District of Illinois, is our guest Democrat, co-chair of the House Ukrainian Caucus. Uh, I want to get you on this, congressman. I think you said it, but I want to hear it directly. Are you in favor of a no-fly zone over Ukraine? I am. You are. Okay. I'm in favor. Are you in favor of the United States stopping this elaborate, hesitant quibbling in public and getting jets into Ukraine so the Ukrainians themselves can defend their airspace? I am. Okay. For the same reason we're giving them javelins and stingers, Putin's not going to make this a distinction. He's going to see it as we're giving them lethal aid regardless. And particularly because of the war crimes, the blocking of the uh, exit paths for refugees, uh, this is a humanitarian crisis at its core, and we have to do more. We have to, you know, our whole point was to help Ukraine defend itself. 
Um, so this is the time to do it. So one of the conversations that keeps happening in Washington and is happening in every capital city in Europe is an assessment of Putin. Rational actor, irrational actor, surrounded by either no one who's advising him or only people who buttress what he originally thinks or intends to do. What is your assessment of where Putin is and maybe how different he is from just two or three or four years ago? Yeah, I think what we've learned is just simply name calling isn't particularly helpful. He is all those things. But to, you know, the, the question is, is he rational in carrying out what his plans are, how ever evil those plans uh, tend to be. Um, I guess in a couple ways to describe it, uh, the assessment seems to be clearly very angry that in public, he seems less calm and controlled in his manner. Uh, There was a scene that was uh, on US TV that showed him dressing down one of his own agents in public. Never would have seen that before. The rambling, somewhat incoherent one-hour speech pre-invasion in which he he seemed to sort of be all over the place. That's a different Putin than we would have seen before. Uh, And simply the fact that he would throw out such an extraordinary threat and saber-rattling perhaps uh, on it relates to nuclear weapons. And and he, he... he did this also after they did some missile testing uh, just before the invasion that was discussed publicly to the east. So that's something we haven't seen from a Soviet Soviet leader since right. it was the Soviet Union Precisely. making that kind of threats, you know, from our childhood. Uh, you know, all the other aspects of this, that's Putin, right. capable of war crimes, evil, dark person. Uh, but the other stuff is scary for that. And, you know, when he makes noises like that, I think, you know, clear that the uh, Biden administration said that they don't believe an attack is imminent or that they're even laying the groundwork for the attack. But uh, as General, uh, Lieutenant General Barrier said, uh, you have to take Putin at his word. The administration also said this week, Congressman Quigley, that the Russians could engage in something that they have done recently in Syria, which is use chemical and biological weapons. Based on what you have heard, and I know you can't explain everything that you have heard, how nervous, how anxious are you about the prospect of that? Uh, look, the best indicator of future activity is, is past activity. Uh, obviously, the invasion is a gross violation of international law. For us to imagine that once he got into Ukraine, he'd suddenly follow the speed limit is, is ridiculous. So uh, he's... Currently, and you know, we're hearing that evidence is being collected of the use of cluster bombs, vacuum bombs, targeting civilian populations, blocking refugee uh, escape routes. Uh, you know, and you're hearing of the, in the again, the public airways of the, the possibility of their using a false flag of chemical weapons, therefore justifying their use. Look, uh, he's he has committed war crimes and atrocities in Syria, uh, Chechnya, uh, they kidnapping, torture, murder, hostage taking, looting, chemical. Uh, so I think 
as he gets particularly angry, more and more angry and frustrated with how things are proceeding, these are very real threats. And again, they are why we need to remind ourselves this isn't a Ukraine problem. This is a problem for the region, for Europe, and of course, uh, for the U.S. Anyone in America familiar with Chernobyl worries about the release of anything from a nuclear power plant, of which if I know the number correctly, and I might not correct me if I'm wrong, 14 or 15 in Ukraine. Do you believe those are particularly vulnerable and that, and I imagine what you just said, Congressman Quigley, is that chemical weapons in Ukraine is a red line. If he crosses it, we've got to do more than we're doing. I assume that's true, but you can answer that yourself. The same thing, the same question would apply to intentionally disrupting or destabilizing with the prospect of radiation release, any nuclear power plant in Ukraine. Sure. And again, in the call last Saturday with President Zelensky, he talked about what a catastrophe uh, could have played out with the shelling, the subsequent explosion and fire at the uh, nuclear power plant. He, he mentioned that Chernobyl, which is an extraordinary catastrophe, was one unit, that this was six units. And uh, I believe what the President Zelensky said is uh, they knew what they were doing and they wouldn't let us put out the fire uh, again. I'm not a military guy. I'm not an expert on nuclear energy and how it operates, but obviously an explosion there, uh, subsequent fire. Rudimentarily, you think, well, you know, maybe that's blocking cooling from taking place, right? And the the uh, resulting explosion could have been, you know, the, the greatest catastrophe in the history of Europe, uh, far more. So. That, that's part of why we should all care. And if, if Putin seems capable of all these things, either purposely, which President Zelensky suggested, or just the result of such a conflict, uh, it's a, yet another reason we, we can't quibble uh, about how to respond to this. We need to be able to stop him. When you're on the phone, if you are on the phone with those who are advising the president, do you get pushback when you say the things which I'm sure you say to them privately that you've just said to us and you've said in other venues? You know, I think most of the discussions are taking place. We get briefed uh, by those and we are allowed to ask them questions. Uh, I don't know that it's a pushback. I think it's a give and take as to the policy options that that take place. The administration's done a, a very good job at keeping Congress informed as to what's taking place. But as I hear you and as the audience hears you, Congressman Quigley, I hear you wrestling with some manner of frustration that the administration's not drawing brighter lines, not saying or doing things that could, if not remedy this situation, create more potential possibility for the Ukrainians to fight back on their own defense. You know, I think I recognized all along as this evolved, uh, Remember, you know, weeks ago we were talking about can we get uh, the pipeline sanctioned? Right. Right. Would we would we embargo uh, Russian oil? Would we put the SWIFT banking system uh, sanctions in place? And so, yeah, a couple three weeks ago, saw, those were all hypotheticals. They've all happened to one, right, to one degree or another. Yes. Yeah. What were once vices are now habits. Right. Right. <laughs> so I think there were some. Uh, pulling back and not wanting the administration. There was some pulling them toward greater. But uh, I, I've got to say this. 
I thought the Biden administration has, I, I think they've been great moving forward and unifying NATO and, and hurting. And the European the, Union. Yeah, and the, the cats that are involved with this. It's just extremely difficult. And so I, we all recognize, I think, in Congress that while they couldn't criticize NATO for not doing more, those were all diplomatic struggles that uh, I think the secretary and others have done. And the intelligence work that's been done on this has been magnificent. The marrying of intel and diplomacy has been extraordinary. So, you know, I've never been one to say the Biden Biden administration is all wrong on this because I recognize they're bringing along not just the Congress and the American people, they're bringing along NATO, who's obviously got a, a stake right there. Let me stop you right there, Congressman Wright, quickly. Segment four of The Takeout coming up in just one moment. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. For those of you watching on CBS News streaming, Mike Quigley, the congressman from the 5th District of Illinois, is coming to us from his Capitol Hill office. Bikes in the background, hockey net in the background, Chicagoan, hockey player. Wrigley Field seats. Yeah. And you have the beach ball in my background, San Diegan. We bring our backstory with us to the takeout every single week. So, uh, Congressman, uh, in the, within the last day, Congress has put forward a spending package that will avert a government shutdown, a partial one. That's good news. Also, $14 billion for Ukraine. Ten billion is what the White House asked for. It got fourteen billion. I'm sure from the time of that original ten billion dollar ask to the fourteen billion dollar appropriation, lots of things changed. I don't want you to go into every detail, but what's in there that's important that can make make a immediate difference in Ukraine? Sure. Uh, very quickly, six point five billion for the Department of Defense, with three billion allocated for the transfer of defense equipment. Uh, nearly four billion for state to assist with refugee aid and supporting surrounding countries affected by the crisis. 2.8 billion to the U.S. Agency for International Development for more humanitarian aid. So I think what you're going to see all along is there'll be more packages, sadly, um, and those numbers will continue to to escalate. But this is, uh, you know, uh, we did 2.4 billion in military aid since 14. And then before this, the Biden administration added under his own uh, discretion, another billion in, in defense aid. Um, you know, so you're seeing it ratchet up very quickly and obviously out of need. Congressman, the audience might not know that you got into Congress because Rahm Emanuel left his seat in the House. He became President Obama's chief of staff. I know uh, collegially, politically, attitudinally, you are close to the former president. Do you have retrospective regrets about what the Obama administration did not do in 2014 when Vladimir Putin sent non-uniformed but clearly Russian 
armed soldiers and personnel into Crimea to take possession of that part of Ukraine and, as we now see, essentially use that as a pretext and a jumping-off point for what is unfolding now. Yeah, in hindsight's 2020, so I, I remind myself that it was a different world at that point in time. And I think the most important difference is uh, there wasn't close to the uh, unity uh, among the West to respond to this at all. I was well aware of the Obama administration's great concern of what was taking place. And uh, at that time, I think they reacted to the, uh, to the limits of what the unity in the West allowed, or the lack thereof, allowed him to do. And do you believe now Putin took lessons from that that are in part menacing Ukrainians today? You know, I, I think so. Uh, and, and look, I mean, Russia shot, of, shot reason, down a civilian airliner. They murdered sure. more than 300 innocents flying over. Sure. And, and they've been battling in the East, you know, for what now, eight years. Mm-hmm. So. It's it amplifies the message I've been giving here uh, for those who who when this began said they wanted to turn off their TV and we need to stay out of it. That was the lesson for now. In the same ways that we saw the lessons from the the mid twentieth century mm-hmm. and and the voices and you know if I appear to be farther out than the administration on this because we're hearing the voices from a generation ago uh, about what that meant. So, you know, I, I think to my constituents and to all Americans, uh, for all those reasons you ought to care, you see the economic impact that's happening in our country, but it, we, we're reminded that there are other autocrats in the world who would like to expand their borders and uh, are watching. Uh, I think the good news is they see the resolve and I. I think that's been important. I think that if anyone imagines that Putin won't at some point respond, he's, he's already launched attacks on our country uh, of cyber, right? The 2016, 18, 20 elections, solar winds, the colonial pipeline, these all originated. So either they're directed or uh, Putin was complicit. So those threats still exist. Fiona Hill wrote an excellent article mm-hmm. in which she talked about the specter of hypersonic missiles in Cuba and Cuba and Venezuela, right back to 1962, for those of us old enough to remember that. Uh, those are the threats we face, how we respond here. It's all proxied through Ukraine. So quibbling isn't uh, an option right now. We have to help more. Do you have a perspective on how China might be viewing all this, Congressman? You know, I, I think... <clears throat> Beijing is watching with an eye on Taiwan. Uh, there were those who were concerned. Uh, I suspect it was a legitimate that, you know, despots can be opportunistic and you, know, you can't fight two conflicts at once. I, I don't sense that, that that's going to take place. Uh, so uh, I think they're worried about their, you know, they haven't you know, they are looking at this and you see sort of a mixed reaction right. uh, to the current conflict. Because as you and know, look- Congressman, within the United Nations and through its foreign ministry, China always hammers one point consistently, which is sovereignty. Their sovereignty and their matters should be of 
paramount concern to them and not the world. I wonder how they factor in the abrogation, the illegal attempt to erase sovereignty in Ukraine in the context of how they always approach the world about their sovereignty. I'm not legitimizing it. I'm just saying how they describe it. Right. And, And I think they feel like they can justify any way they want. I think a lot of what they see that matters is the unity, the military assistance, uh, the speed relatively that that's taken place, but perhaps even more uh, the uh, corporations and others pulling out, industries pulling out the effect, you know, is this information getting to the Russian people? Are they pushing back? They see the protests uh, that are taking place, extremely courageous protests that are taking place throughout Russia, that has to be uh, on their mind as well. And the effect that these sanctions have had uh, so quickly, so dramatically. uh, So, uh, you know, this must be unsettling to them. And if there's some good news to this, perhaps that is. But it's, again, one more reason, folks, uh, this is a war for the entire world to be involved in in one manner or another. Congressman, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Uh, What's the conversation like in the cloakroom? Has it changed dramatically in the last three weeks? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, The unity, the strength, the resolve, the uh, we're we're humans too. You can't help but be moved by what the scenes that you are seeing on TV, the briefings we're getting, and the extraordinary courage of President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. That is the voice of Congressman Mike Quigley. He is co-chair of the House Ukraine Caucus. He has a large Ukrainian, Eastern Central European diaspora in his district in the north side of Chicago. It's been our pleasure to talk to him. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. For those on CBS News streaming and podcast platforms, stay tuned to the Takeout Outtake Especial. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Our guest this week, Congressman Mike Quigley, is coming to us from our capital, from his, not our, his, well, I guess our in a general taxpayer sense, but no, his Capitol Hill office. And in the back of Feel free to visit. (laughs) Feel free to visit, even if you're not from the 5th District of Chicago. Uh, And if you're watching on CBS News streaming, you can see the hockey net, the bicycles, and a hockey jersey uh, in uh, in the background. Wrigley Field seats. And Wrigley Field seats. He would be remiss if he didn't point that out. So um, give my audience a brief uh, summation of your storied hockey career, Mike Quigley. Uh, I started playing hockey before it was as popular and as widespread as it is now. So uh, picture an eight-year-old kid uh, whose parents bought him the wrong kind of skates, uh, figure skates, going out <laughs> to a frozen a frozen lagoon in Carroll Stream, Illinois, walking without skate guards on concrete and asphalt. And then I got one stick, one puck. The net is two Folgers cans. 
no lifters or that puck goes a quarter mile and you have to dig it out of a snowbank. But I fell in love with it. Uh, I've been playing ever since. I've been asked, how good are you? I said, it depends on what subset uh, you're talking about. I will tell you, among 63-year-old members of Congress, I may be the greatest hockey player in the world. <laughs> I love the game more than it loves me. Saturday morning in Chicago at 630, uh, I will be playing with some of my really good friends. And I can't take out the frustrations uh, of the job on my colleagues, but I sure can. On the uh, ice. Playing on the ice. How many, how many, how many surgeries, time. Mike? Seven surgeries, uh, uh, but they're all worth it. You know, a lot of stitches, a lot of surgeries, but uh, I don't think I could do this job without the fun and release that you get uh, playing the greatest game in the world. Excellent. Um, so we have three, thres- three threshold questions. I'll spit that out properly here in just a second. Three threshold questions we ask every guest of this show. We're in our sixth year, and the audience loves the answers because it lets them know a little bit about who they've been listening to. So take these questions in whatever order you want. One of the most influential books in your life or the most influential book, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're flying back to Chicago or you're driving around or on a long train ride, whatever it is, and you're really going to enjoy some music, what music is that going to be by artist or genre? Um. My favorite book was always To Kill a Mockingbird. And when I talk to young students about, they say, what should I read to understand uh, what you do? I said, uh, our greatest foreign policy mistakes have been when we don't fully appreciate and understand what the other person is doing. Lessons for today, right? Mm -hmm. Empathizing uh, where they are. And and that's how we got into uh, mistakes of the First World War, Iraq, Vietnam, and so forth. Uh, uh, Atticus Finch reminds us you have to walk around in the other person's skin. Lessons for our country as well. Uh, and I would also say right now, mandatory reading, uh, Barbara Tuckman's The Guns of August. Yes, absolutely. Uh, how do wars start? Miscalculations, misunderstandings, arrogance, uh, and so forth. Uh, right now, a, a, a movie to watch especially after you watch the scenes or you watch uh, uh, Zelensky's speech, the scene in Casablanca where the Germans are singing their, nas- their, uh, singing their song and then they come back to the bar and they're singing the French national anthem, I believe. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful stuff. Uh, so those are the kind of movies I like. Um, the kind of music I like to listen to depends on the mood. Mm-hmm. Lately, I have... I am more listening to classical calming music. <laughs> Other than that, I grew up as the only kid in my school whose favorite band was Mata Hoople. I was different than everybody else because I wasn't listening to AM top 10 radio. Mm-hmm. I was listening to those FM stations. Right. You could be cool and different. WXRT in Chicago, right. uh, you were listening to uh, Roxy Music and David Bowie when everybody else was listening to Top Ten. Very good. Very good. Mike Quigley, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so very much for hanging out with us. We're going to continue, as I mentioned to the audience, the conversation, the focus on Ukraine. It is right now the story of our times, not just for those people whose lives are being shattered hour by hour, day by day, but the implications for Europe, for the United States, for the rest of the world 
are plain for everyone to see, and we're going to stay focused on it. Mike Quigley, Congressman, 5th District of Illinois, Democrat, co-chair of the House Ukraine Caucus. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks. We'll see you. See you next week, folks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.